Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 220 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, I'm excited about today's episode, and I'll tell you why. One of the issues that I found difficult to crack as a church leader, or I think just honestly as a leader, period, is the whole issue of how to talk about money. Because usually when you're a preacher, you stand up and people just assume you want their money. Well, uh, it took me a while to figure out, but I figured out if you can help people win with their money... Uh, things go a lot better. It goes a lot better for them. Your church gets healthier. And my guest today is Rachel Cruz. A lot of you know her. She works with uh, Dave Ramsey. She's one of their personalities. She's co-authored the number one New York Times bestselling book, Smart Money, Smart Kids. And her new book, Love Your Life, Not Theirs, just released a couple of years ago. She speaks to audiences around the world. She's been featured on Good Morning America, The Today Show, Fox and Friends, many other places. And uh, she's a ball of energy and a lot of fun, too. Uh, I think it's two minutes in the interview. I'm like, hey, are you an extrovert? (laughs) She is just, she's a dynamo. And I love following Rachel. She's helping a lot of people win with their money. And we talk uh, about tips for parents here. So all of you who are parents, listen up. And then we talk about some of the other characteristics. Like, for example, their long-held belief, how much should your net worth be if you want to afford a new car? So we have conversations like that. And I think this will help you win with your money. I think it will also help uh, people that you serve win with their money. So whether that's your staff or whether that is your church or whatever that looks like, it'll help. And speaking of money, a couple of things that I think could really help you. Uh, If you listened to last week's episode, you know that we have a couple of new partners. And Justin Clements is the co-founder and CEO of Remodel Health. And uh, those of you who lead organizations, particularly churches and not-for-profits, know that healthcare costs can just spiral out of control overnight. So that happens in two ways. Number one, it happens for your team members where they're like, I can't afford healthcare, but it also happens for you as an employer. And that's where Remodel Health comes in. They're trusted partners of Brotherhood Mutual and MediShare, and they save churches an average of 34% on their healthcare costs every year. So imagine reinvesting that money into ministry. But Justin and I also sat down to talk about how you as an individual can save on healthcare costs. So let's say, for example, you or your kids end, end up in the hospital. You're like, oh no, here, here goes my bank account. So I asked Justin, I'm like, do you have to pay hospital rates on everything when you're in the hospital? You don't always have to pay hospital rates for things like x-rays, do you? No, you don't. Actually, whenever your doctor... Uh, recommends that you get an x-ray or some labs, uh, you have the option as a consumer to say, hey, can I go out uh, outside of the hospital? Can I go and get those x-rays and labs done somewhere else where they're maybe less expensive? Uh, nine times out of 10, you can't. You're the consumer. You have the power. And if you can go off-site and get those x-rays and labs done at an off-site location, then you're, you're usually going to pay half the price. Really? So it's not even like a 10% savings? It's a significant savings. I've seen people pay 25% of the cost to get an x-ray lab done in a hospital location. 
Well, who knew? And that's what Remodel Health is committed to doing, helping you save money, helping your people save money. You want to check them out. Head on over to remodelhealth.com forward slash carry, C-A-R-E-Y, to find out more. You can get a free quote and a buying guide today that can help you. And remember, they've helped their clients save up to 34% on their healthcare costs. So imagine your payroll, your employee burden cost dropping next year and reinvesting that money into ministry and into mission. Visit remodelhealth.com forward slash carry to learn more. And hey, speaking about giving, I guess this is like a financial issue, (laughs) financial episode today. Did you know the average American now spends about four hours a day on their cell phone? And have you ever been in that place? Because I I visit a lot of churches. It's like, you know what I want to give? And all they have is like checks and cash. And I'm like, well, I, I'm not carrying cash. And uh, I have a checkbook buried somewhere in a closet somewhere at my house. Like, come on, this is 2018. And if your church is missing out on a mobile strategy, you are missing out on helping your people give. PushPay provides mobile apps and enables digital giving that helps you engage your audience, not just financially, but like all week long with so much more. They're experts at technology in the same way that you become expert at ministry. They have the largest customer base in the entire industry. PushPay works with more than 7,000 churches around the world. Last year, they facilitated $3 billion in contributions to churches. It's no wonder that so many churches trust PushPay to drive participation and inspire generosity. So if you want to learn more and get your church on top of giving, visit pushpay.com to learn more and see what everyone is saying and and even have a conversation with an expert. And when you're talking to PushPay, tell them I sent you. Tell them Carrie sent you. Okay, well, uh, thank you so much to our partners who make this uh, possible. And everything we talked about is in the show notes, kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 220. And in the meantime, here is my conversation with Rachel Cruz. Well, Rachel, welcome to the podcast. It's so good to have you. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. So I would love to ask you if you kind of go back growing up as, you know, a famous person's daughter, uh, your dad, your mom were pretty, and particularly your dad, very prominent and all that. How did you decide to become involved in Ramsey Solutions? I mean, it's not automatic that a child says, yes, I will work in the family business. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's really interesting. When I look back, I totally see God's hand and like the path he paved for me is so obvious now that I look back. I don't know if I would have said it in the moment, but um, I have always, you know, all through, I have an older sister and a younger brother. So we've always kind of been a part of the company, everything meaning that the shipping department used to be in our living room growing up. And so we would stuff envelopes and put books and, you know, those boxes and tape them up and put labels. So like we did everything under the sun when it, in regards to that as kids. And so we've always kind of been a part of the company, but I started traveling with dad when I was 15 and someone had this great idea that I should get up in his events and before one of the breaks pitch the kids products and I could have like this whole routine, how it's tough to be Dave Ramsey's kid and like this whole thing. And so I, at the time, those events were the total money makeover arena events. So there'll be six to 10 to 12,000 people in these 
all Saturday events. And so I remember thinking at 15, like, that's crazy. I'm not going to get up on stage in front of all those people. Like what? And you know, the more so this person was like, no, you'd really be good at it. And I was like, okay, that kind of could be fun. And dad was like, you know what? If you pitch these products, I'll give you a cut for whatever you sell at the back table uh, of whatever <laughs> products you sell. And I was like, all right. Like I have enough like utilitarian spirit in me where I was like, all right, this could be a good gig. Let's, let's see. So I, yeah, did my first event. And Carrie, when I got off stage, people were like, how, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? And I was like, that was one of the most fun things I think I've ever done. Really? And as I learned, I was like, public speaking is not fun for a lot of people, but I enjoyed it so much. And so that was my job for the rest of high school. I mean, I would miss football high school games and travel with him to Cincinnati or, you know, these random cities and, and speak with him. Cause I just, I loved it that much. And then when I graduated from high school and went to college, I stopped doing all of that. Cause I was like, I want to be at college and enjoy and all of that. And I say college is the time that my little financial bubble popped. And I realized deeply the need for this message because I was watching my friends and even peers make these devastating mistakes with their money. I mean, going deep into student loan debt, signing up for credit cards and taking road trips on them. I mean, like seeing it all unfold. And I was like, I remember thinking, okay, I'm, I'm 18, 19 years old and I don't have all the answers, but I definitely know these basics and what they're doing is going to cause them so much harm later in life. And that's the moment God started stirring this specific message for me. Um, and so when I graduated from college, I, was, I talked to mom and dad and I was like, I want to travel and speak and talk to high school students and college students specifically. Because I kind of looked at my dad as the emergency surgeon and mm. I was the preventative medicine. <laughs> So it's right. like, if you can get it early, you'll be so much better off. And um, so, yeah, so I started doing that right out of college. And then now almost 10 years later, which is crazy to say, I'm married, I have two kids. So my message is definitely, you know, grown with me and my audience is, is older now. I don't really do much um, high school or college speaking. Uh, but yeah, but that's kind of where it all started. And, and it's funny because when people ask me this question, I always go back to this conversation I remember having with mom and dad. Because they were huge on if any sibling, if any of us got into the business, number one, they were adamant. They're like, you have to be called to this because nothing is right. more miserable than a family business where the family's miserable because you're going to make <laughs> everyone else around you miserable. And and it's not fun. Like, why spend your life, you know, under the shadow of your dad trying to keep up if that's not your calling, right? I mean, like that puts right. you in such a weird spot. You don't want to devote your life to something that you're not called to. So there was really no pressure um, if anything, they almost deterred me because dad was like, and if you do this, Rachel, do you understand that you're going to have to work twice as hard as everyone else? Because you're already like two levels below in people's expectations. They're just going to expect that you're going to be given everything. And so you have to be early and you got to work late. Like you got to prove that you're here and that you're willing to work. And so if anything, it probably would have been easier to go off and do something else. Like, you know, it took, a, it took a lot of work, but I'm so glad. I'm so thankful for that. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how it all unfolded. Are you an extrovert? <laughs> I just have to <laughs> ask you, you this. Flapping my flapping my hands around. I know. <laughs> Extreme extrovert. Just a little just bit. Just a little bit. Do you think that makes speaking easier? Um, 
that's a good question. I've never been asked that. I mean, my initial response is yes, because I, I get energy from people. I enjoy yeah. people. And that's so fun for me uh, where my husband's an introvert, but he's a great speaker. He'll do staff meeting mm. announcements or different things. And he's so funny and so great, but he's like drained after where I'm more energized by it. So I would think you get more energy from people when you're an extrovert. So I would say maybe a little easier. Now, I wonder, I'm just curious whether that made it easier for you. I used to be an extrovert, then I've been in ministry for 20 years, so enough for that. <laughs> got, got beat out of me. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. A lot of public speakers, you talk to a lot of preachers, they're naturally introverts. And yes. I, I love public speaking, but I mean, at 15 to get up there, I mean, I was in radio at 16, so I guess that's not inconceivable. Right, um, right. But it was, it was like, okay, so as far as lots of communicators listening, did you, how have you, I mean, obviously if you knock it out of the park at 15, there's some raw talent there. How have you honed your craft as a communicator over the last, you know, 10 years or whatever? One of the best pieces of advice someone gave me early on, and I did it for years. I've kind of gotten out of the habit of it, but, uh, is to watch yourself. Like, Isn't that the most awkward thing? Terrible. Oh, it's like, it's torture. I mean, it is terrible. If you hate listening to your voice on a voicemail, this is going to be like 10 times worse. Yeah. Yeah. But it is the most effective tool because you're your worst critic. So you're, I'm watching myself and I'm like, oh, that's so annoying. Why am I doing that? Or your, my hands are, I'm talking too much with my hands or I'm saying that over and over. You know, you, you pick up on so much when you watch yourself. And so for me, that was probably one of the most powerful tools that I did. Um, so that was huge. I had a lady come in and, uh, I guess it's probably for about six weeks and kind of coached me voice coach, if you will. Um, you know, if you have an, a deep accent, right. She tries to kind of take that out and <laughs> that kind oh, of so thing. So it was more so. like accent coaching rather than, did she give you any delivery tips? No, it was more delivery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she said if the if you had a deep accent, she would help with that, which I didn't right. as much, which is weird coming from Nashville. But um, inflection and pauses and that kind of thing. And so that's big. And then shaping your content, which there's hundreds of books at, on that. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone, you know, there's a ton of writers. Andy Stanley has a great one. And so there's some really great books. And so learning how to weave a good story as well. So it's part of it is the delivery, but then also a big part of the content. And so making that move. And so that, that's been helpful as well. You know, back to the, the, thank you for that. Back to the family business part. It's interesting because I mean, your, your mom and dad had a tough story, right? I mean, he came to this financial responsibility pretty honestly. And, but my guess is that a lot of your life, particularly by the teenage years was on the upside of the story, the recovery. So I'm curious how your parents manage that, because I think in a lot of cases, you know, on the outside looking in, it would be easy to say, oh, yeah, it's so easy to be financially Mm -hmm. responsible, Rachel. You know, your dad has made quite a bit of money. You didn't really have any needs. How did they handle that as parents? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, early on, what they did is teach us as kids how to handle our own money. So everything from like we weren't given an allowance, we were always on commission, so you work, you get paid. You don't work, you don't get paid. And learning how to give out of that and save out of that and spend out of that. And so the the blessing of that is that you get to reap the reward of your hard work as a child and you get to feel what it feels like to give your own money and to save it up for something or to spend it and get something fun, right? You get to feel that. But you also feel the consequences, 
when you spend it on something that breaks in the car on the way home and you learn that at seven years old and, you know, or opportunity costs, you spend all your money on one thing and then you want to go to a concert with your friends the next and you don't have the money for it. And so we learned a lot of those lessons handling actual, you know, tactically money early on. And for that, I'm so thankful because some parents, their kids don't touch money, except if it comes out of their back pocket and they go spend it. And there's no accountability or responsibility or weight on their shoulders. So they're 18 and they're out of the house. So on the tactical side, um, that was a huge part. And I mean, we as kids, like we, mom and dad did a great job, which I'm looking now as a parent, I now credit them even more. Yeah is that we were not given everything. I mean, if right. anything, if we wanted something, it was either like, okay, well, maybe at Christmas in nine months, <laughs> you're asking yeah. in March. So maybe for Christmas, you can get it or you can save up for it and pay for it. Or if it's something really expensive, we'll match it. But there was so much skin in the game for us as kids all the way up until college of like what we wanted, we had to work for. And now as an adult, I kind of laugh sometimes because people are like, oh, well, you must be doing really well. And I'm like, well, I mean, I, I handle the money I make responsibly, but it's not like my dad is sending me secret checks in the mail <laughs> and like I'm getting free money. Like I have to like actually go to work and the money I make, I have to manage. And so, yeah. So all that to say, I mean, they, they did it right and they did it really well, which I so appreciate. Yeah. And again, as a parent, I'm like, especially when you're winning and you're able to give your kids things, you want to bless them and do that. But there's that that boundary, that limit. When you go over that, that's where the spoiling and the entitlement and all of that comes in. But they did such a great balance, I think, looking back. And yeah, I'm so grateful. They gave us dignity, really is what it is, of working and being responsible. As a parent of now grown children myself, you know, I, I, I hear that story and I, I knew that part of your background and some of the, you know, the background listening I had done and reading that your parents didn't do allowance. They did, and you call it commission, right? <laughs> yes. Can you, so your mom now too, your kids are probably too little for commission at this point. Yeah. But just for all the parents listening, um, I, I wish I had known about that when my kids were five. And can you, would you do that with your daughters? Would you do something like commission? Yes. Oh, absolutely. We have a three and a half, a three and a half year old now. And I'm like, okay, you're old enough to know how to pick up some toys. Like we could right. start this thing now. You know what I mean? Like really, I mean, I'm kind of itching now to be like, all right, we could start this. <laughs> what does that look like? What was the structure for commission? Yeah, well, it's very age appropriate because some parents hear this and they think, you know, they're going to send their four-year-old out to mow the lawn or, you know, something crazy. It's very age appropriate. So if it's young, you know, less than five, right? So that three, four, five-year-old range, you can definitely still teach. Okay, if you work, you get paid. And so if we clean up the room, we all know as a parent that you're you're cleaning up eight out of 10 of the toys at three-year-olds picking up two, but that's still good. I mean, they still are awesome. They're a room cleaner. They get the badge and the reward. It's exciting. And when they're that young, I always say pay instantly and just have a clear jar on their dresser that they can just put the money in so that they can visually see it grow as little kids. And in two to three weeks, take them to Target and let them buy a you know four or $5 little toy and just kind of get in the pattern of them associating work and money. And then when they get to be a little older, between like six and 13, I always say make it a little bit more structured. And so have a chore chart on the refrigerator or something that everyone can see and they have chores and everyone's responsible for a certain amount of chores. And at that age too, they start to learn that you don't get paid for everything. So it's not like you're in a little <laughs> union and every and you pick yeah, up a sock and you get paid. And so there are things that you do because you're part of the family. And there are some things we're going to pay you for because the benefit of that is, again, all the lessons they learn 
when they make their own money. Right. And so you pay them once a week at that age. And uh, for us, it was Sunday nights was payday night. And I think just to relieve a lot of parents, we were not perfect at this at the Ramseys. I mean, we would, dad would forget, oh gosh, maybe four weeks at a time sometimes. <laughs> and then he'd be like, we got to go back the whole month and look, you know, so it's not a perfect science, but the more intentional you are about it, the more of a rhythm that your family gets in and you get it. And then the, a little bit older, right? Teenage years, I always tell parents, get a student checking account and put some money in. That's what you would normally spend on them as teenagers. And if they want more money than that, they got to get a job um, or they can like kind of live on this amount. And that's the amount they have for the month. And they have to learn to... And with them, right? You're walking... You're holding their hands in essence through all of this. But you're teaching them, you know, this. if you're going to spend this on food or gas or whatever it is you have a certain amount of money because then they learn that money's finite. And once it's gone, it's gone. And so that's, um, yeah, a big thing. But all of those, um, you know, the the little kids up into the teenage years as well, teaching them those three basic things and even getting envelopes if you want, but having mm-hmm. give, save and spend, those three money muscles are so important to build as young as you can. Uh, no, I'm, I'm glad you're drilling down on it because there's a ton of parents listening and some of them are looking back on it going, gosh, wish I knew this. Others are like, man, just in time or thank yes. you. Um, so you're, you're hitting 12, 13, 14 years old. Did your, did your mom and dad, did they cap the allowance just to get really granular? It's like if you mow the lawn and empty the dishwasher and make your bed and pick up your towels, then, you know, there's a maximum of $10 or was it like, infinite? Like if you do more work, you can make 20 bucks or how, what, what's a good structure for that? Cause it's yeah, really interesting. For, sure. Yeah. For us, it was, it was set. It was like, okay, yeah. Rachel's responsibility is to feed the dog and to do this and that. Denise's it's this, everyone's expected to, you know, make their bed. Like the kitchen for us, for instance, we were never paid on dishes. Like we were expected to take our dishes to the sink, put them in the dishwasher as we got older, we had to wash the dishes, right? I mean, like all of that was like, cause you're part of the family. So I'd say as a parent pick, you know, four or five things. And then, yeah, I think if there was extra stuff that you wanted them to do, I'm like, Hey, I'd pay you five bucks to wash the car. I mean, you could always throw that kind of stuff in. I don't think it's a big deal. Um, but yeah, if you're maxing out hundreds of dollars a week for your kid's commission, I would lower it and max it. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to get crazy here. The idea of limits too, for your more grown children, like once they get to high school or even college, we put a couple of kids through college recently. And, yeah. you know, my one son was dating at the time and wanted to get married. And so he's like, how am I going to buy the ring? Like, how's that going to work? I'm like, well, you get X number of dollars a month, figure it out. And so <laughs> That's right. He worked, you know, that was his his university allowance. And he was really disciplined to the fact mm. where, uh, you know, if his fiance, his soon-to-be fiance would come over, he would say, uh, that's too much milk. You're not allowed to have too much milk. Now <laughs> put it back in the fridge because he only oh, had so funny. much money for milk that week. And of course, he didn't want to tell her he was saving for a ring. But right, it, right. It's, it's, you know, because when you're, when the bank of mom and dad is open, all of a sudden you know, man, they, they will do whatever they want. And yep. even clothing allowances for back to school, we figured that out middle of the yes. game in high school. It's like, well, you know, you have 150 bucks for everything. That includes your gym, just pick a number, you know, yep, that includes right, your gym right. shoes, that includes your uh, coat, that incl- and then all of a sudden your kids go from, well, I need this and I need that to, hey, there's a sale at this store. Um, <laughs> that's right, they that's get, right. They get incredibly, so it was that kind of environment that you grew up in. I love in. it. 
Yeah. Oh, a hundred. I was gonna say our back to school, we would get an envelope of cash. Yeah. And it would be like the 150 or, you know, whatever the amount was. And it was like, all right, Rachel, here's your envelope. And that's it. Like, yeah, you get to decide. And yeah. So when you teach your kids that, and and that's the great part is parents are so, can be so fearful of big topics in life. And like, how do we Mm -hmm. approach talking about sex? How do we talk about politics? How do we talk about money? Right. All these kind of scary topics, but when it's in the ebb and flow of life, just like that. And it's like, Hey, here's your set amount. This is part of your life. You're having to go buy clothes for school. So let's just make this into a teachable moment. And it's not this big budget camp on the weekend that you're sitting with your kids and trying to like force them to do all this crazy money stuff. It's just part of life and they will learn it and pick up on it. And I'll also say too, with parenting that more is caught than taught. And so your kids are watching your habits as parents as well and how you interact with money. No, that's a good point. And I I wonder, you know, in the early days of our parenting, Rachel, I think sometimes if Tony and I felt tight, that tightness would translate to the kids. And then as we had more money, you almost want to give that surplus to the kids too. And then we had to put a check in our spirit to go, look, whether we have money in the account or not, and even on those days where you may have far more money than you thought you would, that doesn't automatically, you're not helping your kids by giving them too much. Is that fair? Oh, I think so. Absolutely. And again, it's that hard balance because, you know, the the famous line, I want to give my kids a better life than me, right? I mean, like there's these things that we have with our kids that we love and, and you can do those things. I think you can, you know, we went on great vacations. That's one thing mom and dad kind of splurged on. We always grew up going, I mean, once I was like in middle school, high school and on, um, we didn't go on vacation for good part of my first year because they were broke. But as they started making money, that was one part that they loved to bless us with were great vacations. So like you'll find your niche of like, okay, there's a way we can bless our kids and have fun with them. But gosh, it gives them a disservice and almost a sense of entitlement when every time they ask for something, they're handed it or you as a parent just continue to give, give, give because that's what they're learning. The lesson that there is no limit, there is no boundary. And I meet 30-year-olds that think that about money still, right? And that's a scary thought, but that's, I mean, you could go into the debt topic. I mean, like, right, that that affects so much of our habits. But as parents, when you give them that boundary and that limit, it is, it is it's such a, that's a gift in and of itself, really. Mm. So I, I want to switch to talk about messaging. So you look at Ramsey Solutions, what your dad does with the radio show, the books that you've written together, the books that you've written, the public speaking you do, I mean, to a certain extent, does it ever feel like you're saying the same thing over and over and over again? I yes. mean, there seems to be, yeah. I mean, the radio call-in show, it's like, it's not like people are inventing new money problems every week. I mean, I'm sure you get Isn't a few curveballs. Right, right. But it's, is it a bit like being a personal trainer? It's like, hey, Carrie, if you stop eating those triple cheeseburgers <laughs> and you, you get on your bike or get on the treadmill, guess what? The magic happens. You lose some weight. And how about doing some push-ups? Like, and, and the point, I guess, where this question is going is, uh, first of all, there's probably some problems that just keep surfacing. So if you had to list the top three or four things that you hear about day in, day out, decade mm. after decade now, because you've got decades of track record in this, Yep. What are the big three or four that and and pastors listening and leaders listening? You're trying to help your congregation or or your team financially as well. This is what they're struggling with. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I would say one thing I see from people a lot of the time is that they're just not intentional with their money. 
Like the idea of doing a budget is so foreign. And this idea that we're going to just live paycheck to paycheck, we just pray nothing scary pops around the corner and it's going to cost, you know, X amount of dollars. And they just live on the edge. A lot of people do. And 80% of them, close, nearly 80%, technically it's 78% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck right now. And so people are just not intentional with their money. And it's amazing when you can sit down and actually give every dollar a name before the month even begins and you make a plan for your money, how quickly a lot of your money problems go away because you number one, know what's going on. Number two, you're planning. And number three, you're in control. You're not just spending just to spend. And so uh, that's one problem. It's just people not not being intentional. I would also say um, a lot of discontentment. And I'm mm. seeing that I think it's kind of on the rise. And I think social media has a part in that. I think certain kinds of TV does too. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what it is, but there definitely is still the spirit of keeping up with the Joneses and always yeah. just wanting, you know, the new iPhone comes out and all of a sudden you hate your phone and you have to have the new one, right? I mean, it's just this... Yeah spirit of discontentment that is getting people, which I would say would be the third thing, into deep debt. And debt is something that has, um, I mean, has been around for obviously decades, but it's continuing to climb with the student loan crisis on the rise. Credit card debt is now rising back up since the recession. And so it's just, you're seeing people continuing not to have patience for things and having that discontentment plays into it, thinking that, okay, this thing will make me happy. If I can just have that thing, everything will be okay. And not having the discipline to save up and pay for it. Or like we were saying earlier, they're not intentional living paycheck to paycheck. So if an emergency does happen, a credit card is their safety net, which is scary. Yeah. Um, but they they fall into that. And so, so yeah, I would say those things, not being intentional, discontentment and debt. Um, yeah, I mean, we could talk about saving money. We, we oh, yeah, yeah, go, yeah. I no, can and, more, and we will. But, those are the big, I would say those are the big things. Everybody's heard the term paycheck to paycheck for years, for decades. The question I have is technically, what do you mean by that? Because people say, you know, we're living paycheck to paycheck. Um, so if you had to say, no, this is what that means, at least in your mind, or, yeah. you know, according to Ramsey Solutions, just so people know, you know, oh gosh, I guess I'm living paycheck to paycheck, or maybe I'm not, or how much of your church is living pay, you know, because we've mm -hmm. got a lot of people trying to raise money every weekend and trying to get their people to give. And uh, if you're living yeah. paycheck to paycheck, that's a tough one. So what does that Absolutely. mean? Absolutely. I mean, it would literally mean that if you don't have a paycheck coming in on the 15th or the 30th, you don't have bill, you, you don't have money to pay bills. Like there's okay. like four out of 10 Americans can't cover a $400 emergency right now. So there's no savings. Wow. And once the paycheck comes in, it's scattered throughout the bills and that's all they have. And they're waiting till the next paycheck to pay the, to pay the rest of the bills, whatever comes. So it's, so there's no cash reserve. There's, there's no, yeah. Again, four out of 10 Americans cannot cover a $400 emergency. It used to be a thousand dollar emergency and now it's gone down. And wow. so the savings rate in America continues just to plummet. And so it's, uh, and it's really fear. I mean, that, that is a scary place to be. Most women's top financial fear is the lack of security and talk about not not having security when there's not an emergency fund in place and that paycheck to paycheck living is there. And so um, it's really difficult because just like you were saying about the personal training example is that personal finance, it's 80% behavior. It's 20% head knowledge to lose yeah. weight, right? Like you're saying, eat less, exercise more. To, to do Pretty money, simple. stop borrowing money, save money, get an extra job, make more income if you need to, to get yourself out of the hole. I mean, like, like we know to do these things, but to do it requires change and change is so hard for us. Even though people are in stressful situations, 
the the idea to change what they've been doing is so scary and it's hard to do. But man, once you pivot out of that and you actually see and feel a life where you are in control and you're starting to pay off debt and you're getting an emergency fund and you have savings in the bank, suddenly it's like, okay, this is the way... I feel like, as, and it's all scripture based. I mean, it's really how God calls us to live. And you start to really feel like a good steward and you're able to do the things that you want to do as well. And that's everything as shallow as going on a great Caribbean vacation to the things that you value deeply like giving. And I'm so glad you hit on that because it's true. It is so hard for people to give because they're not in a financial position. And so we really push churches to think about what could the people of God do for the kingdom of God if they didn't have debt? Yeah, that is a great question, Rachel. I'm so glad you asked it. Um, I, I want to talk about personal finance for leaders who are in ministry. So as I always say, when I talk to church leaders, we know you guys got in this for the money. <laughs> Obviously not. I came up here. Now, this was a few years ago now, but you know, I remember... Gosh, my first my first year's salary was nineteen thousand dollars a year plus yeah, a house. Yeah. Now that was the mid nineties, and you know it was a different <laughs> era. But yeah, you could that's, double that. It's still not a ton. That's right. Pretty right. light. And and there were times just to go back. I mean, it was a, it was a monthly check, and I would have to ask for it. And sometimes I'd have to wait for a week. The treasurer we had at the time would be like, "Yeah, I can't get to it right now." I'm like, "Okay," you know. And so I'm familiar with, you know, and I mm-hmm. left law to do that. So it was it was great. Somebody once joked to me, I know this used to be your hourly rate, but here's your check for the next two weeks. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. A big jump, big jump for you. Yeah, and, yeah, but there are a lot of leaders listening who are like, Rachel, listen, if I could talk to you and have a one-on-one conversation, we just don't make enough. And that mm-hmm. is a real issue in the church. So any thoughts for leaders who are living paycheck to paycheck, who honestly, you know, their churches are broke. There's so much broke thinking in the church. Um, yeah. And they, they're, they're just lower income. Um, yeah. what, do you, what do you do to get into a financial, like, can you get into a, a healthy financial place when you're living with less? Yes, absolutely. And your life just may look different. And there may be different seasons of sacrifice. And honestly, my advice would be if I was talking to a teacher as well, right? I mean, I take the occupation out of it. It's I, I look at the math part and say, okay, right. here's your income, here are your expenses. And so number one, if you're not living on a budget, do that. Go to Every Dollar. It's one of our budgeting apps. It is amazing. And do a budget. Because when you do a budget, we always say, and it's true, you feel like you got a raise. Because yeah. you're like, oh, wow. Okay. It's not as bad as you think it is. And you actually have a plan for where things are going. And it's amazing the control you have. And so if you haven't done that, I would say, number one, do a budget. Because number two, what it's going to reveal is... Do you have an income problem? Do you have an outgo problem? And usually for people earning less, it's, I mean, usually the income side. And so Mm -hmm. what do you have to do for just a season of your life to be able to get your family out of debt and have savings in the bank? And, and so that's a, that, that's a window of, for some people, 24 months to three years, but there may be things that you do uncomfortably to get yourself in a place where there's at least stability. Because the last thing I would want is that living paycheck to paycheck to um, living just thinking, okay, well, debt's just going to have to be a part of my life and it is what it is. And if something bad happens, I don't know what to do, right? So you're actually creating a plan and you're tangibly going after that. And so it's it's uncomfortable and it's not and it's not fun, but I will say this as well. It is so worth it. 
Yeah. It is so worth it. So even if it's an extra job and you're driving Uber at night for two nights a week or whatever, whatever it is, yeah, just to dig out of the it, hole, just to dig out of that hole. Yes. And I'm not saying you have to go, you know, fund your retirement every year at the wazoo, right? Like we just do one step at a time. And that stability, that stress that you're no longer a slave to the lender is one of the biggest burdens that can be lifted. It, I mean, it's, it's amazing the freedom that you feel when money is not the issue in your life constantly on you, right? I mean, Jesus said it's hard to serve mm-hmm. two masters. And so um, getting yourself in that place, um, which again, I, it, it's so easy to say over a microphone right now because you're, you know, it, the sacrifice part is the difficult part, but for short-term sacrifice for long-term gain is um, is so worth it. Yeah. And I mean, your your shows, all of your platforms, I mean, I can't tell you the number of times, very average families or below average income families are like, we just burned through, you know, paid off $80,000 in debt, or it's ridiculous yes. to see oh, what can happen. It's, um, it is. And it's crazy. I mean, you'll, you listen to their store and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, but it's like, I mean, simple things, everything from cutting cable to not going out to eat as much. I mean, it's just these lifestyle changes that they made um, and doing things, yeah, to get some income up for a short period of time. But yeah, it is always just amazing. And hearing like even single moms and their stories and they, you know, maybe they paid off $24,000 of debt and it's not like this huge amount. But for that single mom, I'm like, that is, that's two years worth of like hard work that she did. So yeah, it's... It is so fun because you see every income level, every debt level. And when you believe that you can, it is possible. Can we talk about for a minute cars and car payments? So (laughs) (laughs) I think I heard your dad say, and this may be a little bit dated, but uh, or it could be inaccurate. It could be apocryphal. You know, the internet, it's so reliable. Um, Yeah, that's right. That's right. (laughs) Did he at one point say, or what would you say? I think what I heard him say was that you should be a millionaire and have a net worth of over a million dollars to be able to buy a new car. And if you're not a millionaire, you can't afford a brand new vehicle. Um, any thoughts on that? Because so many people, I mean, now in Canada, where I am north of Toronto, most, most mm-hmm. listeners here are American, 85% are American. But, you know, they're now advertising cars as weekly payments because people don't want to look at 900 bucks a month. They think, oh, that's too much. But man, if it's, you know, you know $120 a week, I can afford that. Like, you know, they're selling car payments, not cars. Any thoughts on how, you know, wealthy you should be before you really start to look at a new vehicle or any rules of thumb on cars, which are, I'm a car guy. So I'm asking that, you know, for a friend. <laughs> You're um, like, so, yeah, yeah, just, you know, friend. just a little selfishly. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah uh, that's definitely still the advice. Yeah. A million dollars or more, because you, at that point you can financially take the hit of driving that brand new car off the lots because of how much it already goes, it devalues itself. And so if you don't have a million dollars, that's what we say. And really when you look at And you at mean the a math, million net worth, right? Net worth. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. Um, Cause when you look at car payments in and of itself, to me, it's the dumbest type of debt that you can get into because you're making payments and paying interest on something that's going down in value. And you are taking out a loan on, again, something that's going down in value And not only that, you can still get a great used car. And I'm not talking about a car that has 14 different paint jobs on it. Like when some people think of a used car, like, oh, the air conditioning's not going to work. I'm like, no, you can get a used Mercedes that's, you know, eight years old or whatever. You know what I mean? Like you can go still get a nice car. Not even that nice. I mean, you can even go down to a great Honda Civic. Like you just, you can get great cars that are used and still reliable and 
financially, they do not put this burden on you because the average car payment right now in North America is right close to $500. It's like 400 mm-hmm. and what was it? $83 I've read or something like that. But um, yeah, so it, it takes a beating on people. And again, it's something that's going down in value. And I'm like, no. So yeah. buy the used car, the two-year-old or older car. I mean, at that point in your life, it is so worth it. And then, yeah, once you have a million dollar net worth, then you can take take the hits. If of, you want to. <laughs> if you want to, yeah. And the yeah. average millionaire and the millionaire next door drives a two-year-old or older car. And so yeah. there's just this point that, yeah, you can still enjoy great cars, but it doesn't have to be the brand new one coming off the lot. Personally, I haven't purchased a new one in 18 years because oh the last gosh. one I bought was a lemon. But uh, the one I'm driving right now, uh, I bought a few years ago. It was two years old. Okay. And uh, yeah. it was a $60,000 brand new fully loaded Honda Pilot that I picked up half price oh, after see? 18 two, it, Yeah. And it still and smelled a, like factory. I know. Isn't that amazing too? And what's fun is that newness that you're wanting and it's like, oh, a new car, new car. You still get that in a used car because it's still yeah. new to you. And so, yeah. you know, that itch is a little scratched when it comes to that. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's good. Broke thinking. It's something I see a lot in the church, this idea mm-hmm. that that cheap, because there's a difference between cheap and effective, right? I hired mm-hmm. a contractor once and I really liked the hammer he had. I'm like, I don't know anything about tools. I'm like, tell me about your <laughs> hammer. He says, oh, it's a good one. He says, I'm too, I'm too poor to buy cheap, which I've never forgotten. Interesting. Yeah. I'll buy it once. I'll have it till I'm 70 years old. Yep. It's a really good hammer. Um, churches don't always think that way. A lot of pastors are frustrated with the cheapness in their congregation. And frankly, a lot of people who lead in the marketplace, you know, they got, they got lots of staff who are just drowning in debt. How do you overcome broke thinking? This idea that cheap is better, that we shouldn't fund the kingdom. You know, you already said it, right? We want people funding the kingdom with the money that God has given them, not, not drowning in credit card debt. How do, any tips for leaders on how to cure their church of broke thinking? Well, you have to renew your mind, right? When, right? when scripture talks about that, that is, that's truth. And so for us in our message, we found that's effective is that not only do you have to understand what's going on, but you have to get mad at your situation. And so when there's this broke thinking, but everyone's okay with it and it's just going to be how it is. And it's just, that's just how it is. There's not a lot of passion, not a lot of drive to change. And so they, people have to get to a point in their own personal life where they're like, I am sick and tired of living like this. I am sick and tired of this being my life. I have got to do something different. So you have to get to this visceral point that you're willing to change. And so I would say that, and I would also say opening up scripture and you, and you look through Proverbs, you look through, you know, books. And when, when Jesus talks about money, which is a lot, actually the whole Bible talks about money more than heaven and hell combined. And so you go and you see, okay, God, what do you, what do you have to say about this? And so being able to reflect on that, hopefully gives some energy to people to say, okay, this is how it's supposed to be. This is what it's supposed to look like to steward the resources that God has given me. And this is what I'm supposed to be able to do. And there's and there's freedom in that. But I would say, first, there has to be some emotion behind the change of, of why the change. And then going to the best instruction manual that we have. You work with a lot of church leaders. Are there any particular issues that you see Christians struggle with or pastors struggle with um, more than other people? Or no, we're all just human beings. 
I would say overall, we're pretty much just human beings because the statistics in the church look the exact same as um, statistics you read in the Wall Street Journal, right? I mean, there's not much of a difference, any difference really um, in the mainstream world versus in the Christian world. But I would say that there is a greater need um, that I feel when I talk to a believer that giving is a huge, um, I wouldn't say shame point, but it is a conviction that they have that they're not able to give. So when I'm talking to a couple and we're looking at their budget, like giving is always brought up early on. Like, yeah, we want to be able to give, but we can't. And so, you know, we walk through the problem. That doesn't come up as much. I have to um, um, persuade, (laughs) I guess you could say others to even think of the possibility to give first because that's so foreign to the outside world, where at least in Christianity, giving and serving, and that that's more on the forefront of our minds, um, which is a good thing. I know you answer this question a lot, but if somebody says, okay, Rachel, thank you for convicting me. I need to give more, you know, whether that's 10% <laughs> or whatever, they'll say, I'm going to do that as soon as I'm debt. Let me, debt free. Let me pay off my credit cards. Let me pay off the line of credit. We'll get rid of the mortgage. Then I will be generous. What do you say to that? It's a really, um, it it makes sense, right? Because Mm -hmm. when I talk to people, I'm like, well, just give some first and then you pay off debt. And like, well, couldn't I take the money I'm giving? And mathematically, I would have more to pay off. And I'm like, yes, but you're missing the most fun thing that you get to do with money. And what giving does to you, not just financially, but I'm talking spiritually and emotionally. Suddenly you are living your life and as a believer, opening your hand and truly trusting, okay, God, this mathematically does not make sense. Me giving to the church this $300 doesn't make sense because I could pay off debt with that, right? But I'm trusting that you're my provider and you are good and, and I'm giving back what is yours already. And that practice of having that open hand, what it does is I love it because it, it, it gives the opportunity for more to come back in. And it's not a prosperity. I'm not saying give and there'll be a brand new BMW in your <laughs> driveway with no payments, right? Like yeah. I'm not saying that. Um, but I am saying it gives the opportunity for for change to occur in your heart. And people that give and it becomes a part of their life, it's amazing. Like you talk to them and you see it in their eyes and you feel it when you're with them. And they are the most selfless, joyous people people that give and they serve. And and I would say you you would miss out on that. And I would say too that the finish line always keeps moving. And so when you say, oh, we'll do it when we pay off debt. Well, once you pay off debt, it's like, oh, that's kind of nice. We don't have payments. Well, we could save up for, have some savings. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Oh man, okay, let's find, you know, let's do that. Let's go on that vacation. The finish line continues to move. So if you don't create a habit of giving early on, it gets, I would say, almost more difficult the more money you make or the better financial situation you're in. And so I love John D. Rockefeller, his quotes. He said, I would never have been able to tithe the first million dollars I ever made if I didn't tithe my first salary, which was a dollar and fifty a week. Wow. And it's a perfect picture because money is a magnifying glass. It makes you more of what you already are. And if you're not a giver now and you still get in a better financial situation, it's very unlikely that that's going to just be an easy habit for you to cultivate. And so the earlier, the better. And and I say, give a little until you can give a lot. Obviously, the tithe for me is the baseline. I would I would love to see people with that 10% in their budget. Uh, but no matter where you are, if you're starting from clean slate and you're getting stressed, just give something. Make it a practice because it turns into a habit. And again, it sounds cliche, but it's so true. It is, it's the most, it's the most fun you will have with money. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. It is absolutely fun. Generosity. Because after a while, you just kind of get bored with what you can buy. Oh, yeah. What Dad always give. says, I love his line. He's like, after you eat enough lobster, it tastes like soap. Like if you just eat, <laughs> yeah, it's just like, yeah, you can just keep accumulating all this stuff, but it's like, oh, it can be fun, but then it's just, yeah, it kind of gets whatever. That's yeah, so you're exactly right. One more financial question. Then I want to talk a little bit more about what you're doing and how you do it and all that stuff. But um, this is a conversation that comes up in a lot of leadership circles. I know you give advice on it probably every day, if not every week. Is there such a thing? as good debt? No. No. And I say that it's an extreme stance. And I would say every time debt is mentioned in scripture, it's in a negative fashion. Mm -hmm. It's a burden. It's a curse on your family. The borrower or slave to the lender. Now, the one type of debt that we won't yell at you for (laughs) is a mortgage. And there's some perimeters, you know, around that. But everything from business loans, credit cards, car payments, all of it. Because what it does is it limits your freedom. And we've yeah. bought into this lie, especially in America. I think Canadians probably have seeped into it oh, as well. Yeah. That 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 it's there to, you know, oh yeah, if you if you invest in this real estate deal and you take out that extra mortgage or go get a brand new car, right? It's just like this, this dream of what life is supposed to look like. But what people don't account for is risk. People don't account for 2008 when people have lost their jobs and the real estate bubble popped, right? I mean, people don't account for risk. And when you don't owe anyone anything, you have the freedom and the ability to do what God has called you to do with your income. And there's no one holding you back. There's no bank in the back of your mind. There's no family member who, when you're getting opening Christmas gifts, it's weird and awkward because you still owe them $4,000 and it hasn't been paid (laughs) back yet. I mean, like, like it takes all that out. And there's such freedom. So besides the mortgage, um, I would say, yeah, I would say overall, there's no good debt. If you could pay, put 100% down on a house, that's my number one encouragement to do that. Yeah, but, yeah. But the mortgage is the one type well, of debt. Most people couldn't. Most people right. can't. Right. And then again, buy the $2,000 car if you can't afford the $20,000 car, that's that right. kind of thing. What about student debt? That is a huge problem in Canada now where somebody with the general BA in, say, psychology is graduating on average with $30,000, $40,000 in debt. And, you know, it's not even really an employable no. job. Like, Isn't that's it? not a career path. Right, right. right? So oh, gosh. What, what would your advice be? It's like, well, Rachel, I, I just can't even get an education unless I rack up 20, 30. My parents don't have it. You know, now what? Yes. The student loan crisis is... It is one of the most frustrating parts of what I talk about because what's crazy is that we have become so stupid about education. Like the dichotomy of that, like people lose their minds and they do exactly what you just said and they'll go to private schools and they'll just go anywhere they feel like it. And they'll go to a school that's twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 a year and they're getting a degree, an undergrad degree in English and they're <laughs> going to go be a teacher making $32,000 $32, a year. And it's like, what? No. So you have to think. So what I tell parents, and it's usually my message to parents, some 18-year-olds are smart enough to get it, but most of them aren't. <laughs> they live in the moment. So as a parent, number one, you are not a bad parent if you cannot pay for college. Right. There's been this this theme through our country that college is an entitlement. And it's not. College is a blessing. It is not an entitlement. And so you are not a bad parent, number one. Number two, you can still help your kids, even if it's not financially. Because what I've learned is that if you can stay in state 
or go to a community college for the first year or two. That's going to be your best bet. Community college is $8,000 a year. You can get all your prereqs done there and then transfer to a big state school if you want. It's the number one mistake people make is they choose a school they can't afford. They step over a state line and they go, I'm talking about America here, not yeah, as yeah, much no, Canada. I get but it. Same thing yeah, in Canada. Yeah, yep. you step over a state line, you pay literally double for basically the same school. Now, I'm from Tennessee. I went to the University of Tennessee. So to say the same school, Tennessee is the same school as Alabama hurts me a little bit, but <laughs> it's true, right? I mean, it is the same college. You're getting the same education. And a private school, if you can't pay for it, it's out of the question. So college selection, number one. Then number two, scholarships and grants. It is free money. I talked to a girl and she said she grew up with a single mom and her mom made her apply for two scholarships a day starting Christmas break of her senior year till she graduated. And she was like, I was mad about it, Rachel. We fought about it all the time. But her entire college, she was in Texas, entire college is paid for and she has $3,000 in the bank because of all the scholarships and grants she got. So you take the time and apply for that. And then number three, it's kind of a shock, but get a job. (laughs) You can work. <laughs> like We made you, our kids work. Yeah. Yeah. You can work Co-pay. and go to school. Absolutely. And you even go work for the university and your room and board is taken care of. I mean, there are all ways that you can get a job and still pay for school. So all those things combined, selecting an affordable school, scholarships and grants and working. And again, just like a lot of what we teach, it is hard. That's not fun. Mm-hmm. That's not because you may not go to the school you want to go to or you're 18 year old. They have this dream of going to this one school and it may not happen. But the reason you're going to college is to get a higher education, hopefully to learn more and get a degree. And most employers don't care. They don't give a flip about where your degree is from. They just, you know, and some of them don't even care you have a degree now. Now there's kind of a whole backlash against college, but that's another topic. But all that to say, Gary, if we could have another podcast on this specifically, but my thing would be to be parents, please. And I'm saying this as someone that has talked to these students for years and years, be a parent and step in. You're not a helicopter parent. You're not being unhealthy. You're being wise by guiding your 18-year-old of how to do things wisely. Because the majority of people you talk to who are 30 years old with student loan debt still, Sally Mae still hanging out, They, most of them would say, I so wish my parents had stopped me. I wish someone, I wish someone had just said, you don't have to do that. You can make other choices and have no student loan debt. And so uh, I, I really think I would go as far as to say, I don't think we have a student loan issue. I think we have a parenting issue mm. and parents are just wiping their hands and saying, okay, well, you're an 18 year old. And so wherever you feel called to no, they're stupid at 18 sometimes. Like you <laughs> have to guide them. And so, yeah, it's, it's a big rant I have because I see the pain and that's why I, why I, oh, I get yeah. so passionate about it. Is, and what I also see is people can't go do what they're called to do because they can't, maybe not, can't go into ministry because of their dang student loan debt. They feel called to the mission field, but they can't go. They have to stay in their corporate job because they have $60,000 of debt still to pay off from student loans. And so, yeah, and good luck. And here comes the snowball because now you have a mortgage and now you've got a car payment. And, and I mean, yeah, it's so, it's so frustrating. And so, yeah, you make smart choices, do some hard work and it's not always fun, but man, when you get out, you have the freedom, again, that freedom to decide and not be stuck in that job that you hate, which some people are. I know there's a lot of people in ministry yeah. listening. So I don't mean that you hate your no, no, job. No, no, but I, I couldn't another, agree more. I yeah. couldn't agree more. Uh, and this is from a history major and a former lawyer and a guy with a theology degree. I spent a lot of time in school. Uh, history degree is really interesting. Absolutely useless, but really interesting. <laughs> and nobody's going to hire you with a history degree. I can tell you that. If yeah, you're right. somewhere. Was pre law right. for me. Um, okay. 
You get so much done, Rachel. You're in the thick of it too. You've got two little kids. You're married. You work. You speak all over the world. Um, I would love to know, and you write books, best-selling books. So I would love to know, what are some rhythms, habits, and disciplines that are really helping you in this season? Um, well, this season, these may be different if you talk to me in another four years, because uh, yeah. I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old at home. So uh, my number one habit, which I hold very tightly, if I can, is alone time in the morning. So I get up early enough to have my coffee on good days. I open up scripture on bad days. I turn on bad cable TV and <laughs> watch the news. So like, you know, but whatever it is, I have just some quiet and my coffee and it's kind of just my my sane time before the the girls wake up. So that's a big thing that I've put in place that I'm so thankful for. It's just some quiet time. Um, so that I would say my husband, Winston and I, we are... Um, phenomenal at coordinating schedules. Mm. We've perfected this. Like we over communicate about everything from every weeknight. What are we doing? If we're home, what meals are we cooking? I mean, we schedule as much as we can because what that does is that gives us the ability to be so present when we are together or with the girls. And so we're on the same page. There's not miscommunication. We're not perfect at it, but I would say nine out of 10 times we've gotten this down um, with traveling and all of that. So our schedules, we have lined them up, um, in a sense that we, yeah, we know exactly what's going on with each other. And then, um, I would say I, I have help. I mean, I know, I don't yeah. know how many females you have listening, but I think sometimes as a woman, you watch other women do these great things and you're like, Oh, wow. You know, I, I couldn't do all of that because I have all these kids and I feel like I have to cook dinner and clean the house. And, uh, you know, it's just, you have so many responsibilities. And so I have learned Christine Kane. I don't know if you are, mm-hmm. familiar, she's one of my favorite people on the planet. Yep. And so she told me early on, cause I got to talk to her early on, um, when I was doing all of this, just for some advice. And I remember she said, outsource what you can, yep. because you can't always outsource hugs from your kids. Mm-hmm. You can't, you know, there's certain things you cannot outsource, but if you can and you get to a place where you're able to do it. And that's honestly been one of the biggest um, blessings for me. And so now I've, I've recently, I used to not be ashamed by it, but I wouldn't really tell people, but now I, I do because I feel like it gives people freedom because I'm like, I don't clean my house as much anymore. Yeah. I have someone come and deep clean twice a month. And what that means is on a Saturday when I'm home, I'm not scrubbing baseboards. I'm playing with my girls and we're going to the park and we're going to the movies and we're going out to lunch to Chick-fil-A and like eating the Christian chicken. And we're, you know, we're doing all the things <laughs> and I don't, so I have learned to not be ashamed to say that I do outsource things that I'm able to, um, in order for me to be present with my family when I'm home. I think that's really good advice. Christine has given that advice on this podcast. Shannon Miles, I don't know whether you know Brian and Shannon, she said the same thing, like you've got to get help. And just for the record for pastors, back when I was making $19,000 a year and my wife was working one day a week, now she was a pharmacist, you know, you can make good money in a single day. Sure. Uh, We actually had help. We had help around the house. It was something we started when we had no money. And we still have help today, not in every area. There's some stuff I love to do, but I think yep. I think that's really good because otherwise you get into this cycle where there's never a break. Right. And you'll wear yourself out. Absolutely. Yep. And, and we give up things in our budget. Let me just say that. We don't have this ins- in- endless supply of cash so we can go do whatever we want. I mean, we will give up things in order to get things done. Does that make sense? Like, well, oh, yeah. there's, a, there's a give and take. And so, but we're willing to do that. Like we're willing to go out to eat less in order to get other things done. That way we can 
you know, be with the girls. So we did the yeah. same thing, like eat less, crappy TV, you know, a used that's TV right. rather than a new TV, whatever it happened to be. I mean, you just, you make yep. trade-offs and if that's not worth it to you, get the nice, you know, 70 inch, you know, 4K TV, but <laughs> right. enjoy the baseboard scrubbing, right? Yeah, that's whatever. right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> uh, Rachel, this has been so good. Um, you've got a uh, kind of a new-ish TV show I want you to tell people about. So, and tell us what you're up to and where people can find you online. Yes. Well, uh, we started the Rachel Cruz show. I had a video blog for years uh, that I was doing and creating content that way. And so we kind of formalized it and tested it and all of this stuff about a year ago. And we got great viewership. So we're like, okay, this will work. So we started this um, formal 30-minute show. It's on YouTube and Facebook right now. And it is so fun. We talk about everything from uh, money, which is the primary thread through the whole episode, but it's it, it's things about getting a couple out of debt, to budgeting, to grocery store hacks, to how to make your kids' Halloween costume on a budget. I mean, like it's it's everything under the sun, and it's been so much fun. We've really had a great time doing it, and yeah, our whole premise is about taking control of your money and creating a life that you love. And so hopefully we'll give you content to help assist with that. And then, yeah, other things. I mean, we're traveling, live events. Uh, so everything's on rachelcruz.com. And um, yeah, it's, it's early stages of possibly a new book. So we'll talk uh-huh. about that later. So who knows? We'll see what we'll see what, how that comes to fruition soon. But those are long processes too. We're not people that just write a book in 90 days, it's out there. It's a, <laughs> it, it takes some time around here to get things in place and all of that, which I'm thankful for. But um, so yeah, so we'll see. Good. Some fun You're stuff a fun follow up. on social too. I love your Insta stories so people can find <laughs> you there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's pretty real. I love it. Is that your favorite? What's your favorite social right now? Mine is Insta stories for sure. Yeah, I would say, I would say that Instagram and Insta stories. I've gotten off Facebook. I honestly haven't had, um, I mean, I have my personal accounts. So I probably, or my, right. my professional account. Um, but I don't have a personal Facebook page because I kind of was just like, oh, I'm so tired of it. I just, yeah, I enjoy Instagram more. So just yeah. like you, the stories are fun because, yeah, you kind of see the behind the scenes of stuff, which I like. Yeah, you do. You do a good job of that. Well, Rachel, Thanks. thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for the advice and really appreciate everything you do to help people. Absolutely. Thanks, Carrie. Thanks for having me on. That was so refreshing and so helpful. Oh my goodness. You know, I'm thinking back to how we raised our kids who are now both in their 20s. And, you know, there's some things we got right and some things we got wrong. And if you want more, just go to the show notes, kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 220. You can find everything there. Uh, man, to all of you who haven't subscribed yet, and I know that's a tiny percentage. Most of you are subscribers, but there's about 20% who haven't subscribed, according to the statistics. Uh, you can do that for free. We're on every major platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts, and it's free. Uh, thanks to partners like PushPay and Remodel Health. We're able to do this and bring you, hopefully, quality shows we would love for you to subscribe and maybe even leave a rating and a review. And here's what we've got on deck for you in October. I've got Levi Lusco coming up, Patrick Lencioni, and next week, Max Lucado. Now, this was a delightful conversation. We had a lot of fun. We went all over the place. And a bunch of times in the interview, he's like, wow, nobody's ever asked me that before, which is so much fun for me as an interviewer. Here's an excerpt from uh, next week's episode with Max Lucado. He encouraged me. He said, you need an activity that you can really pour yourself into that has no consequences. As mm. if you, that if you blow it, that's okay. And he said, do you have anything like that? And I said, no, everything I do is 
is, is has consequences. The book needs to be a good Advice. book. The sermon needs to be a good sermon. The staff needs to be healthy. The meetings need to go well. So everything has consequences. My kids were small. I want to do a good job. So every, he said, you need something that has no, if you blow it, there's no consequences. And so I, I took up golf. <laughs> We also have a couple of bonus episodes coming up for you this month. So, uh, yeah, we're trying to do more than just one a week. So uh, hang on for those. Uh, we, and, and again, if you subscribe, you get it all for free. Uh, make sure you check out PushPay and see what they can do to help your church give. Visit PushPay.com. And if you're interested in saving, well, say 34% on your health care costs as an employer next year, visit remodelhealth.com forward slash carry and learn more. And I just want to say before we go today, thank you to everybody who made the launch of Didn't See It Coming, my new book. So um, just overwhelming. Actually, I can't believe the book is doing incredibly well, like well after a month after it was released. And Man, since August, this thing has just caught fire. But you know the most rewarding thing about it? It's hearing your stories. It's people who are saying, I didn't realize I was a cynic. Oh my goodness. It's like, wow, I'm burning out. I, I find hope. Or um, yeah, pride has kind of gotten a hold of me and I'm dealing with it. It's reading all of your stories, seeing your stuff on social. It's amazing. You can just, you just search the hashtag, didn't see it coming book. You'll see people talking about the book. It is available everywhere books are sold. And I hope this is something that is going to help leaders for years. It's all about overcoming the seven greatest challenges no one expects and everyone experiences. And uh, in a few months, I got to get cracking on my next book. Yeah, that's how that thing works. So if you have any ideas, let me know. Hit me up, leave a comment in the show notes. And if you've got any responses to Didn't See It Coming book, I would love to hear all about that as well. Guys, thank you so much. You make this so worth doing. Enjoy the pumpkin spice. It is October. We are back next week uh, with a fresh episode. And I really hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.